Well, I am super excited today as we're going to begin a brand new series on the New Testament book of James. If you're new here at Hope Fellowship, we often take a book of the Bible and we just kind of teach through it verse by verse. I think we're going to be in James about 12 weeks, give or take. Don't know. We'll see where it goes. But let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and jump right in. James chapter 1, verse 1. The book begins this way. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nation's greetings. Now, when you and I write letters, we in our modern world, we sign our name at the end, but that's not how they did it in ancient times. You always signed in ancient times when you wrote a letter, you sign your name at the beginning. Well, a man by the name of James identifies himself as the author. But the question that we need to ask is, James who? There are by most counts four different James mentioned throughout your New Testament. There is James, the father of the disciple Thaddeus. He's mentioned in Luke chapter 6. That's, we're told that in, in there. There is James, son of Zebedee, one of the 12 disciples, who was the brother of John, another of the 12. And then there was James, son of Alphaeus. He was also one of the disciples. And he was often referred to as James the Less. And you say, why was that? Well, Bible scholars tell us he was either younger or shorter than the other James disciples. So if I was one of Jesus' disciples, I would probably be known as Josh the the Less. That sounds so much better than short. All right, anyway. Finally... There was James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born, if you remember, Jesus was born through the Virgin Mary's womb. You need to understand that Mary did not remain a virgin for the rest of her life. I know what certain people teach about that and certain, certain uh, places of religion teach, but that's not true. That's not what the Bible tells us. She and Joseph went on to have children. The Bible's very clear about that. One of them was named James. And for a long time, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, yet alone the Son of God in the flesh. So along with his other siblings, they thought Jesus was crazy. They thought Jesus was out of his mind. Look what we're told in John chapter 7, verse 1 about Jesus. It says, not even his brothers believed in him. That is until the resurrection happened. And think about that. What would it take for you to believe that your sibling was God in the flesh? It would take a resurrection, right? The apostle Paul gives us this testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He writes, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's talking about Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Otherwise, some have died by the time he was writing this. Then he appeared to, who is it? James. Then to all the apostles. What I want you to know is after Jesus' resurrection, James, the half-brother of Jesus, believed, and he actually became the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. So if you want to think about James this way, he was the lead pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. And so loyal was James to Christ that he was willing to die for him. 
In fact, church history tells us that in 62 AD, he was martyred for his faith. And there are different accounts of how he died. One account said he was thrown off the temple mount, which was very high, and he survived. And uh, then he was beaten to death and stoned to death. And, and, and there's a bunch of accounts of he was stoned, he was beaten, the temple. But I think when you combine them all together, it's, it's possible that all those things were true. What we do know is that he was martyred for his faith in 62 AD. What I want you to know is the book of James was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And it was written to Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. That's what he means when he says the 12 tribes. Everyone that was of Jewish descent descended from one of the 12 tribes that you read about in the Old Testament, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And over the centuries, the Jewish people, because of persecution, had been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And more recently, the early church, due to persecution, had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Do you remember in the book of Acts when Stephen was stoned and it says there was great persecution that broke out against the early church and, and God actually used that persecution to spread the gospel throughout the rest of the Roman Empire. Yes. Okay, Remember Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in what? Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was persecution that actually caused that to happen. God took something that was negative and turned something good out of it. Yes. James is writing to these early Christians that have been persecuted and scattered. That's his audience. But what's the purpose of the letter? Well, it's written to address the issue of spiritual immaturity. What, what James is saying to these Jewish Christians in his letter is, it's time for you to grow up in your faith. Six times throughout this short letter, James uses the word mature, and it's a Greek word that means complete in all its parts, full grown, of full age, especially of the completeness of Christian character. And so James's concern is that the readers of his letter would learn to grow up in their faith. And I think this reveals to us a very important truth. It's possible for you to be a Christian and never grow up in your faith. Okay, nothing wrong with being a baby, but it's not good if you stay one, right? This explains why someone who's been a Christian for three months could be way more spiritually mature than someone who's been a Christian for 30 years. James tells us what faith looks like when it grows up in several practical areas of life throughout this letter. In fact, this is a very, very practical book that if we'll take it to heart, it'll help us grow more mature in our faith. This book's so practical, it's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. How many of you love the book of Proverbs? People say that all the time. It's so practical, so much practical wisdom. Well, James kind of flows out that same way. So let's dig in and learn what James has to teach us. The first thing that he tells us is that when faith grows up, it actually is able to find joy in trials. That's the subject addressed in verses 2 through 12. So let's go ahead and read it. I want to get you the whole picture of what he's saying here, and then we'll go back and we'll learn some things out of it. James writes, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business." Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, maybe you have heard this saying, and I'm sure you have, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. How many know it's easier to smile at that statement than to actually practice it? But that philosophy is very sound. In fact, it's more than just sound philosophy, it's actually biblical. God wants to take the trials that we face in this life and make lemonade out of them. What we have here as James begins is instruction on how mature faith is able to find joy in trials. And James talks to us about four essentials for doing so. What he tells us is we need, in order to to find joy in trials, we need a joyful attitude, we need an understanding mind, we need a surrendered will, and we're going to need a believing heart. And he reveals each of those essentials through specific action words throughout this text. And so I want to focus in on each of those action words. They're going to teach us how to find joy in trials. Here's action word number one. We need to consider. Look what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, before you can begin to find joy in your trials, you first have to know to expect them. It's not if you're going to have trials, but whenever you face them. It's when. A mature faith knows to expect them. A Christian who expects no trials is in for a giant shock. Okay, listen to me. Immature Christianity expects all their problems to go away in this life now that they know Jesus. That's immaturity. Don't you ever believe another Christian who tells you that Christians shouldn't have any more trials. That may, they may sound mature with their words when they say that, but they are not mature. Mature Christians know otherwise. It's not an issue if you're going to face trials, but when, what type, and what degree, and how many. At times, you're going to face big life-changing trials. At times, they're going to fi- you're going to face small, annoying trials. And at other times, there are going to be nagging trials in your life that seem to go on forever. And you're going to face multiple types of trials at the same time often in various areas of your life. I want you to notice the two words in the verse, many kinds. It's actually one word in the original Greek that literally means multicolored. That's what it means. How many of you have ever seen a color palette? You ever seen a color palette? I brought one with me. And if you went pixel by pixel, I know it's bright, right? If you went pixel by pixel, you could be here all day and you'd get a different shade of color. Trials in life are like that. 
Not only does, does this palette have main colors, but endless shades. And, and think about this. Trials come in all kinds of different shades. Some will be big and bold, and everybody's going to see the trial you're going through. And then there's going to be some trials in your life that are faint and light behind closed doors that nobody knows about. What you need to know is you need to expect them throughout your Christian life. This is biblical. Even Jesus said you would have them. Look at John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, in this world, remember, this world is broken. It's flawed. It's yet not fully redeemed. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. Paul said this to new believers in Acts chapter 14, 22. He's just led a bunch of people to Jesus. He's been establishing them in the faith. He's about to move on to another place to establish another church. And look what he says to them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about the hardships that we encounter in this life. We cannot always expect everything to go our way, even as Christians. Some trials are going to come simply because we're humans living in a broken world. Sicknesses and accidents and disappointments and tragedies. And there are going to be other trials that come because you're a Christian. And you're going to be persecuted by a world that doesn't believe in your Savior. That doesn't believe in the faith that you live by. That was certainly true of these early Christians scattered throughout the nations that that James is writing to. So trials will come. But the question is, how do you find joy in them? Well, you have to consider. And when you consider what it's going to do, it's going to help produce a joyful attitude in your trials. Look at it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many Kinds. Now, that word consider there was a financial term in James's day. It's a Greek word that means to count it forward, to allow down the road to lead the way. So let me tell you what James is saying and what he's not saying. James is not saying that we should be joyful for our trials. He's not saying, woohoo, these trials are awesome. Can you believe how great these are? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you shouldn't feel pain because when you go through trials, you will feel pain. He's not saying to deny your trials because they are very much indeed real in your life. Trials are hard and they're painful and they're difficult physically, spiritually, and emotionally at times. Mature faith doesn't find joy for trials. It finds joy in trials. And I want you to understand, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to you, on on happenstance. Joy is based on an attitude that you have within you. What is it that helps fuel a joyful attitude in the midst of trials? You have to consider. You say, well, what do I got to consider? You have to remember that if I've got God in my life, this trial is not going to be the end. That he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. That he works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That somehow, someway, and I don't get it and I don't understand, but somehow, someway, God is going to work good out of this for his glory and for my good. Listen, you will never have any joy in your trials if you don't consider that God has a plan for it all. 
If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all as joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future and about where we're headed, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Job, in the Old Testament, you talk about a man that went through trials, had the right outlook through his trials. Look what he said, Job 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. Talking about God, God's not surprised. He's not surprised by the trial. When he has tested me, I will. You know what that is? That's counting forward. I will come forth as gold. You find joy in trials only when you consider that because God is in my life, he's going to use this trial somehow, some way for his glory and my good. But how does he do that? Well, that leads us to a second essential. If we're going to find joy in trials, we have to know. Everybody say no. no. We need to have an understanding mind. Okay, what what do Christians need to know when we face trials of many kinds? We need to know how God uses them in our lives. James says, here's what you need to know. First thing you need to know, you need to know that faith is always tested. Faith is always tested. Back to the verse again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the what? Testing of your Faith. faith. God tests our faith. And the testing of our faith always reveals to us where we need to grow. Okay, here, newsflash. God already knows the true condition of your faith. But we don't. And in order for us to see where we need to grow, because in order for us to see where we need to grow, then we need to know where to go, right? God uses trials to show us. So think about this. How do you get the toothpaste out of the tube? Squeeze it. When pressure is applied, what's on the inside comes out, right? Sometimes God tests us through commands that he gives us. And other times he will allow trials in our life to unfold doesn't mean he's the initiator of of what happened in your life. Somebody or something happened, but in his sovereignty, he allowed it. You ever looked at God sometimes and go, God, why did you allow that to happen? Well, the testing of our faith. The the second thing you didn't know, if you're going to find joy in trials, is trials are used to mature us. So once again, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, and here it is, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Think about this. God called Abraham to live by faith. Am I right about that? And he tested him in order to increase his faith. God always tests us in order to bring out the best in us. What you have to understand is Satan tempts us in order to bring out the worst in us. That's why next week and the very next thing he's going to talk about, James is going to talk about, and we'll study it next week, is how does mature faith handle temptations when they come your way? 
Here's how the testing of our faith helps mature us. I was thinking about this, and this is a good example. When I was in high school, I took Metal Shop 1 and Metal Shop 2. In fact, I took Wood Shop 1 and Wood Shop 2, and he shot people in here. Do they even stay? They still do that in high school. I don't know. But anyway, in Metal Shop, um, we were pouring molten metal into these, these casting. We were doing casting, right? You had, so what you do is you create whatever you want to mold, and then you take your metal, and you heat it up to, to liquid, and then you pour the metal into that casting. It cools, and you take the casting away, and you have whatever you were trying to pour in whatever shape. And so here's what, we would, here, what would happen. When we would put those precious metals into a crucible, we would put it in the furnace, and the furnace would heat it up, and it would turn to liquid. And do you know what would happen when, the, when heat was put to that metal? All the impurities in the metal rose to the top, and you scraped off the you scraped off the impurities, and then you went and poured it into something that you were creating. Do you understand? Sometimes God says, "I got to create something new for them. I've got to create. I want to mold them into something different." And one of the ways that God does that is He allows trials to come into your life, and the impurities come up to the top, so He can scrape those off, and He can mold you into something more glorious. This is one of the ways that he takes you from glory to glory. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And Peter too, just like James, he's writing to persecuted Christians. These people have been through it. And look at his advice to them. In all this, you greatly, what's the word? Rejoice. Rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. Why did they come? Why did God allow them? So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of which of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So think about this. God uses trials to mature us. And let me tell you why that's so important, even for this world. Mature people make better decisions in life than immature people. Yes. Mature people have healthier relationships in life than immature people do. Mature people are much more usable to the kingdom of God than yes. immature people. There are some Christians that are gifted and talented over the moon and back, but they're not very usable because they're not mature. <clears throat> God uses trials to help us grow up in all kinds of areas in our life. Here's the last thing you need to know. Trials refocus our attention. Isn't it funny that when things are going great in life, we tend to slack off a little bit in our relationship with God? I mean, we don't mean to, but it just kind of happens. We don't pray as often as we used to. We don't seek out God's advice like we once did. We don't rely on his power to help us like, like, like we did before. And can I tell you, that's a recipe for disaster. Because when we think we got life down without God, that opens the door for a hard fall, doesn't it? And so God uses trials to keep our attention and our reliability focused on him. That's the point in verses 9 through 11. Look, trials get everybody's attention. Whether you're rich or you're poor, it, it, it gets everybody's attention. Look at it. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Why? Because they may lack earthly resources, but at least they got God and that's all they're going to need. 
And then it goes on to say, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Listen, I don't care how much money you have. You may have everything in the world, but eventually like everybody else, you are one day going to what? Wither and die. Not to mention all the riches you accumulated, they don't go with you, right? For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And so what James is saying is, look, trials have a way of refocusing our attention back on God, no matter what class of society we come from. And that's the very best place in which to do life from, isn't it? You know, if we're going to find joy in trials, we need to understand how God uses them to mature us for his good, for our good and his glory. You know, I was thinking about this uh, just this week, and, and, and I've, come, I've become observant about something in my life where there are times, you know, God has given me a gift to preach and teach to people, and there are times when I feel like, man, I'm in the zone. I feel like I've hit a home run the last four weeks in a row. And then all of a sudden, the process gets real hard. And you know what God said to me one time? I need to reel, I need to reel back that anointing just a little bit to remind you that you're not really that good. <laughs> that you can't rely on your own wisdom. That you need to keep relying on my wisdom. God uses trials to mature us, to prepare us. To mold us into something more usable. You know, I, I was thinking about this in my own life, and you know, this happens in your life too. You know, there are things that I've been through in life that I don't ever want to go through again. How many of you say amen to that? Amen. But I have noticed that God never wastes pain in my life. That's right. That He leverages them to deal with things in me. And you know what I've noticed? He will even leverage pain that is somebody else's fault to deal with things in me. Wasn't my fault, but God's going to take advantage of that pain in my life in order to deal with some things within me. I was thinking about in my life, you know, some of you know the story that, that I have three daughters. I actually have four. Our first one died at birth. I, I look at that trial that we went through and I realize it made me a better pastor. I, I think about some of the things I went through with my mom and nine years of cancer and she died and then my family as I knew it kind of fell apart and I had to learn how to forgive and I had to learn to do all these things and for the first time in my life, I knew what family dysfunction felt like. And I realized I'm a better pastor now. I'm a better pastor when I sit down with people because God leveraged it in my life to, to teach me things and to mold me and put me in a position to be used by him in a greater way. He'll do the same thing in your life with your trials if you will let him. Yes. You need to know what God does with trials. They're purposeful. This is why he doesn't take them all away. That brings us to essential number three, if we're going to find joy in our trials. And this is a big one. Okay. Turn to the person next to you and say, pay attention now. This is the most important one. You need to let. Everybody say let. Okay. When you let, you surrender your will. Okay. Follow me for a second. God cannot build our character without our cooperation. Don't ever believe the lie that trials automatically make a person mature. That's not true. Trials can actually make a person more immature and more stuck and more broken 
and bitter. Let me tell you what the key is. Perseverance is the key to maturity. It's hanging in there. Especially when it comes to your relationship with God. Do you know what immature Christians do? I've been serving Jesus for a long time. Why did he allow this to happen in my life? You need to grow up. You need to grow up. I'm telling you why. Because he needs to grow you. He wants to make you mature. He loves you. Just like a parent raising a child. He loves you and wants to help you grow up in life and in your face. Perseverance is the key to maturity. Look what James says. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Watch this. What is the word? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now that word perseverance, hupomone in the Greek, it means a remaining behind, a patient enduring. And so here is what James is means by this. Don't bail out on what God is trying to do in your life when trials come. Continue to trust God in your trial. Even when you don't understand, you trust him. You continue to serve him. You continue to worship with him. You continue to be where he wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. Don't assume just because things are hard in your life that God wants you to bail out on where you're at now. Some people never mature in their faith because they run from every trial if they're able to. And you know what happens? They run to the next place. And they run into that trial again. You know why? Because they, they took themselves with them when they went to the next place. The problem is, it wasn't the place that they were at. The problem is they had a maturity problem that didn't get fixed. And you know how somebody has a maturity problem? Are you ready for this? It's always somebody else's fault. I got to blame somebody. It's always but it's somebody else's fault. We never grow through the pain. We never develop the fruit of the spirit. Let me tell you, this is happening on a major scale right now with Christians. Never before have we lived in an environment where you can pull up any church at any time and watch their service. In fact, you don't even have to go and be around people. Now, I'm not saying that's always a bad thing. It's not. It's good to be able for all you watching at home, continue to watch at home. <laughs> Sometimes that's the only option you have, right? And it's, you know, but what I'm, what I'm telling you is there are people hopping around from church to church because every church they go to, there's somebody that they run into they have a problem with. Now, I'm not saying that there's not time to leave a church. There are times to leave a church, amen? But what if God's plan is that you would learn to love people who are hard to love so that the fruit of the Spirit could grow in your life? Listen, one difficult stage of growing up physically in life is the weaning process. So think about this. When a child is weaned, isn't it true? It's miserable. It lets the world know. It complains in the best way it can complain. And the child thinks everything and everyone is against it, including the mom. But it's good for the child, isn't it? Because when a child is weaned, do you know what it is? It steps towards maturity and independence. What I want you to understand is sometimes God has to wean his children away from their childish toys and their childish habits and their childish attitudes. 
David, King David in the Old Testament recognized this. Look what David wrote about his own life. He, David says this in Psalm 131. He says, my heart is not proud. You know why he says that? Because it was. My eyes were not haughty, are not haughty. You know why he's saying that now? Because they were. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. I've been able to find peace, right? Because I've just surrendered to the process. When, when did David find contentment? When he let, you ready for this? Perseverance finish its work in him. When he surrendered to the weaning process, God was trying to accomplish in his life. And you know, I've come to this conclusion, and this is not always a hardstead truth, I guess, if you will, or a, 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 but I'm convinced that some trials are just gonna last how long that they're gonna last. But I'm then convinced that some trials in our life would end quicker if we just cooperate with God. If we would just say, God, okay, I'm gonna dig in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender. You, you have your way, let's do what you need to do because I wanna get past this. How many have ever had that experience in their life? So we need to let. We need, to, we need to have a surrendered will. Here's number four. We need to ask. Okay? When we ask, we, the reason we ask is so that we can believe what God has to say. So we could put our trust in his wisdom. Look at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should what? Ask God, now watch this, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Do you understand God has no intention of being stingy when it comes to his wisdom? He wants you to have it. He's generous with you. He loves to give it out without finding fault. Let me tell you what that means. It's not like you're going to come to God and God's, you're going to say, God, I really need your wisdom. And God's going to say, well, you go be a better boy or girl and then come back and I'll give it to you. He gives it generously without what? Finding fault. Ask him. Seek his wisdom out is what James is saying, especially when you are going through trials. Listen, when God allows trials to come into your life, we need to stop asking the why question. Okay, God, why is this happening to me? God, why are you allowing this in my life? James has already addressed that question so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That question is settled. That's right. The better question to ask when we go through trials is what? Okay, God, this is painful and I don't like it. In fact, this trial isn't even my fault. But what do you want me to learn out of this? What do you want to deal with in my heart out of this? What do you want to change in me out of this? What do you want to do in my life as a result of this? All right, God, what do you want to do? What is it? Let me share with you some ways that you can ask God for wisdom when you're in, in trials. Number one, pray. I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? Let me tell you another way you can ask for God's wisdom. Get into your Bible. He's giving you a whole book of his wisdom. Get this, with people that went through trials and survived. People that went through trials and with God's help ended up victorious down the road. 
There's a lot of wisdom that you can learn there. And then there's God's people. This is why you need to come to church. Because God has gifted people to explain the scriptures in an anointed way just right for that day that's going to hit you the way God wants it to hit you. This is why we do connect groups here, because you need people in your life. You need fellowship with people that have been through things that have come out the other side that you're now just entering into. You need their advice. You need their wisdom. You need their encouragement. You know why? Because every one of us has trouble seeing through our trials. And what happens is, is we're often blinded to wisdom because of the emotion and the pain of the trial. And so sometimes we need wisdom that's going to come through other people, and we need other people to help us flesh out the wisdom of God. Because trials are hard. I mean, have you ever looked in somebody's life and you're like, well, the answer is, like, this is easy. You should do this, but they're like, I don't know, but they're going through the trial. Listen, when God gives us wisdom, we've got to take it to heart. This is the key to it all. You need to believe it. Okay, listen, don't treat his wisdom as just another option in your life. You treat it as the only option. Make up your mind that you're going to follow God's wisdom at all costs. doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what my eyes see. What matters most is what does God have to say? Because I don't walk by sight. I walk by what? Faith. You make up your mind you're going to follow God's wisdom at all costs. And James tells us why this is so important. He says this in verse 6. Look at this. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now let me help you understand. Then James is going to say that that person's double-minded. Here's what he's saying. If you don't make up your mind that God's wisdom is your only priority, you will leave yourself open to following other voices. And just like the ocean has a current and waves that can take you in all kinds of different places, the voices of this world can take you into all kinds of different places. The opinions of this world, the opinions of your flesh, the temptations of the devil who wants you to find relief from your trials and things that will destroy your life. Why do you think people run to drugs and alcohol and sex and back to bad relationships when trials come their way? Because there's all these other voices in life that are calling their name. And those voices have the potential to sweep you away from God and from the maturity that God is trying to lead you into. Okay, the the, the main issue with maturity is wisdom. Okay? And, And the wisdom of God must be believed in order to benefit from it. You must trust it. You must put your faith in it. You, God can't lead you into maturity if you don't want to follow him into it. So your feet will never go in what you don't believe. They'll never head in that direction. And Here's the deal. When we believe, we can now follow. And when we follow, we can now receive all that God has for us. Do you get it? So how do we find joy in trials? Well, we consider. We have an attitude that thinks about the big picture and about the big God that we have. 
Listen, he works all things for good, right? For those who love him. He who began a good work in me is going to be faithful, completed. I don't know how. I don't know how this is going to unfold. I, I, I just know that God's going to do something good out of this. Number two, we need to know. We need to have an understanding of what God is going to do with the trial. He's going to use it to grow us and reshape us and deal with us and, and take the impurities in our faith out of our life. And then we need to let, we need to surrender our will to what he's doing in the trials in our life. And then finally, we need to ask. We need to put our faith in his wisdom as we make our way through the trial. And look what James says the outcome will be. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed. Do you know what the outcome will be? Blessing. You'll find blessing out of your trial. Watch this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, right? Let perseverance finish its work. Cooperate with God and what he's trying to do. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I think one of the things this verse is saying is one day when we get to heaven, God is going to reward those who endured tests and trials of this life by faith. But I think there's a temporal crown if you think about it too. The reward for enduring the trials and tests of this life by faith. You ready for this? It's maturity. It's wisdom. It's a greater usability for the kingdom of God in this world. It's healthier relationships. It's all kind of things. Joy and trials. That's maturity. When it grows up. When faith grows up, it finds joy and trials. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm guessing that many of you have got trials in your life. And I think the first thing the Lord would want me to remind some of you this morning is he loves you, that he hasn't given up on you that he's got a plan for even your hardest trials. You need, to, you need to take that word to heart. The second thing that I would say to you is this, cooperate with the Lord. Trust his wisdom. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's best. Doesn't matter what you see, it doesn't matter what you feel. What matters most is what God has to say. Believe it, trust it, follow it, and allow God to do what he does. I want to pray for you right now. Some of you are going through trials. I believe right now that, that it's tough, it's hard. And I just want to pray that the Lord would give you a fresh anointing, that he would give you fresh eyes, that this word would stick in your spirit, that you would come forth shining like gold and usable in a fresh new way. So Lord, I just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we even thank you for the trials that you allow in our life. Lord, we're so thankful that we, we don't have to go through them alone, that we have you, that you've got a plan for us. And so Lord, I pray right now for those in here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would renew their mind. I pray that you would renew their spirit. And Lord, I even pray that you would anoint them with a special anointing right now in the name of Jesus as they surrender to you through this foul trial that they're facing. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would work powerfully in the name of Jesus for our good and for your glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me?
maybe the step for you this morning and what God's trying to do is God say, I just need to surrender. I just need to surrender. I just need to say, Lord, I trust you with what you're doing in my life. It's part of where it starts. So let's sing this with the worship team one more time before we close. When we close, our prayer partners will be up here. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you're going through a trial and you would like special prayer. There, there is power and people coming together to pray. Our prayer partners will be up here. But let's sing this together as a prayer as we close. for us in our life, God. Even when it's a hard path, God, we will follow, God. 
Lord, we will look for the joy in the trial, God. We will look for you, Lord God, in the trial, God. We will look for, Lord, your lesson, God, your wisdom, Lord, your, your presence in the trial, God, as we walk through it, God, because we know you are doing it to grow us and to mature us, Lord God. Be with us, Lord, as we leave this place, God. Let us not just be hearers of this word, but doers of this word, God. Let us ask, consider, Lord, and hear, Lord God, you in this message, Lord God, and each trial that we walk through. Lord, we pray your blessing upon each person as they depart from here. We ask this on your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. If you need prayer, our prayer partners will still be here. So come on up and join us if you need prayer today. Have a blessed day. Oh,